This is Omo. How's it going? It's great. I've got Jerry Lynn with me tonight. Hello. We are, hello. We're without Chris because Chris had the nerve to have a child four days ago. Was that, it five days ago? That guy. What the yeah. heck? Yeah. And so he's very sleep deprived. And I believe one of the other kids is sick and his wife is recovering from major surgery. So that's his excuse. But we're really happy to announce that Finnegan Olin Jacoby, eight pounds, 21 ounces. No, that can't be right. Something. Wow. <laughs> it, it, is, it is late. 13 pounds. 13 pounds. 47 ounces yeah. in good health. Yeah. I mean... He's like the size of a, I don't know, a car or something like that. A huge kid. Definitely. <laughs> yes, I, I'm very pleased that everybody has survived and in good mm-hmm, health. Mm-hmm. That last month stressed me out more than it should have. Yeah, when so, my, my um, wife was at that time, um, yeah. man, it was just get this get this child out of me now. Yeah. And well, it, I mean, I wasn't even the pregnant one. I was just stressed for them. Oh, so sure. So I'm... I'm glad that sure. I'm glad that it's done and everybody's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brittany congrats. looks so uncomfortable. I'm I'm glad yeah. everything is going well for them now. Congrats, Chris and Brittany and the whole Jacoby family. Okay, so we uh, decided to do a listener feedback episode. We have had a great outpouring of support and people reaching out to us in commentary. And we hoped that we might be able to provide this for you guys. And we're really happy that we can. And hopefully that helps build this community and helps people feel less like outsiders, which is some of what we've we explored in episode one. Yeah. And some of this we might not get exactly right. This is kind of new territory for us, but we wanted to offer uh, kind of a community sounding board for all of you. Yeah. And as we go forward, tell us what you think. Tell us your stories related to the episode. Tell us your stories not related to the episode. Tell us the craziest thing that ever happened to you. We're ready to hear. Cool. So what's the first thing we need to talk about? Well, we were going to talk about Chris's first experience with a super fan. I really think I want him to tell that story. So we're going to have to okay. save that one. Darn. It's good. Yeah. It's a good one. You'll just have to wait till next time. <laughs> now, what we did have was uh, David Van Zant. I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry. You are saying that okay, right. Good. A really, really super talented maker from Seattle. Awesome. So he had some really fascinating commentary just he said when we were talking about imposter syndrome he kept thinking about people who are the opposite of that like people influenced by the dunning kruger effect yeah you know it's like you've watched a couple of youtube videos and all of a sudden you're the expert on something or yes you google your your symptoms and dr google makes you all of a sudden a medical expert yes um so now, so, when I look, when I copied and pasted this link from Wikipedia, I imagined you reading it. So, could you do the honors? 
Oh, let me see. In the field of psychology, the Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias in which people of low ability have illusionary superior, well, superiority and mistakenly assess their cognitive ability as greater than it is. The cognitive bias of illusory superiority comes... You know, this is tough to read. Cold, Rosie, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so basically, uh, you're not aware of how little you know, and you, you bump yourself up to being at an expert level, where in yeah. reality, you don't know a darn thing. And if anybody would like to go on some of my earliest Instagram posts, where I just with enthusiasm was so proud of like the littlest repairs that I did, you will see uh, I experienced this as well. Yeah, I think every, well, maybe, maybe not necessarily everybody, but a lot of people do at some point. Uh, if you go on to any of the the Facebook forums, particularly dealing with identification, you'll see people where, you know, a little bit of knowledge is a really dangerous thing and they, dangerous thing, and they put themselves out there as perhaps knowing more than they actually do. Yeah. So uh, for those of us who do feel that bit of imposter syndrome, hey, that's, kind of a great thing because that means you have gotten to the point where you're aware of how much maybe you don't know. And the good news is you don't have to be negative about it. As David Vance said, I can't say his name, <laughs> David Van Zant. Uh, what did he say? He said the positive side is, wow, I can always learn more stuff and get better at my craft. Absolutely. Like I said, uh, when we, we did episode one, I don't know anybody whom I respect that hasn't felt that at some point. I get a little worried if if people say that they don't. But then again, there are people who are totally fine with never having experienced that. So uh, whatever works, everything's healthy. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, too. Maybe it's not healthy. I don't know. But So we had another listener, uh, Robert. His name looks like Wendell, but he sent me an audio clip, and it's Weindel. Robert Weindel. Okay. He is really into the history of Stradivari and had a lot of things to say. And one thing I did want to bring up that he mentioned, there is another son, Giovanni Martino. This was another one of Stradivarius's sons, and there's speculation that he was also in that workshop. Again, world of speculation. We don't know. We don't have all the facts. But uh, Giovanni, he died just a week shy of turning 24. And in those years before he passed away, there was this level of quality that was coming out of the workshop that some of the experts out there say that they don't recognize it as any other hand that we do know in the shop. So speculation is that he was there. He was probably a very promising maker. And uh, so we can only theorize that it was really hard on dad Antonio when he passed. Uh, that was another blow to his legacy. Yeah. And think about had he lived, uh, the Cremonese legacy might not have ended as quickly as it did. Yeah. We might have that recipe for his varnish. Or his latte, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. He made um, a great stew. He made a great stew, sure. Uh, but but anyway, it's um, 
there's all kinds of speculation out there that uh, one of the, the wild and crazy theories that I've heard was m- maybe the Messiah had been made by uh, by him, and it was kind of kept in the house then as as a remembrance of of the the son was so much promise that didn't quite make it, and that's one of the reasons mm. why it 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 survived um, as unscathed as it as it has. I like that, and I have decided that it's true in my mind. So I'm going with that forever now. Okay. That was simple. <laughs> Done. Done. You were so good at winging this. I love it. I, you know, I feel kind of weird not having Chris here uh, because, <laughs> but he had to go become a parent again. Again. That guy. Yeah. His uh, seventh time, I believe. Somewhere between eight and 16 children. Okay. He's really going for the Stradivari record. <laughs> I, you know, just for this, no, I can't go there. Anyway. Um... <laughs> okay. So we had another person reach out to us, Aman- okay. Amanda in Ewing out of Nashville. She expressed her appreciation for the podcast. And then she asked if I knew of any people of color in the luthier industry. And I had to think for a minute. Jerry, do you know of anybody? Well, it depends on what you want to call. Well, let's back up for a second. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're asking you're asking me, yeah. a white guy. Yeah, a from question, a white girl. From a white girl about yeah. a question that. Wow, how do we not yeah. dance around this? <laughs> we might not necessarily be the, the 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 most qualified people to to go down this route, and that's yeah. one of the things we want to talk about. Right now is, if this is a community, how do you want us to tackle these sorts of issues? Yeah. But anyway, what exactly, from from my very white guy privileged perspective, what exactly is a person of color? Because if sure. you want to look at it in terms of people from, uh, of an Asian background. Sure. There's lots of people. If you want to talk about people of uh, Hispanic background. There is a, a not a large population, but a more uh, every year I meet or hear of more uh, luthiers coming out of Mexico. Yeah, yeah. We met. Uh, I met Jaime Gabriel this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was lovely. Mm-hmm. We all know Ralph Alcala. Yeah, uh, in but LA. again, again, this is um, Hispanic origins. Anyway, I don't. I don't want to try to speak for this community, but I did talk to Amanda and say, what can we do? Because she's feeling very isolated. And, you know, I said, what if, if, would it be helpful to you if we started a Luthiers of Color hashtag? And she said a resounding yes. So uh, if you want to be part of that or involved in that, if you want to start using Luthiers of Color as a hashtag when you're making posts, go for it. She also said she has a Facebook group of the same name That's and there excellent. is one member and that is Amanda. <laughs> so uh, if you want to be a part of that, that's awesome. And if there's anything that we can help out with, let us know. I obviously don't want to speak for that community, uh, but however we can help out, make people feel not as isolated. That's what we're here for. And we want to be helpful in any way we can. Absolutely. And we might do some more research. Um, 
getting back to, to Ralph, uh, Ralph posted a, a picture on his Instagram account. I believe it was last week about a mentor of his that, um, Ralph, if you're listening, if you want to write up something about this mentor, I think the rest of the world would like to hear about it. Sure. And uh, we'll put that out there at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for keeping our eyes open. Uh, moving on, we had several people reach out, out to us and say, I've always felt like an imposter or I really resonated with feeling like an outsider. And it kind of felt like we were all breathing a sigh of relief together, which was a really nice moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those persons, Sydney Wagner, she is living my life. She is learning <laughs> on the job. <laughs> and she says, I've always been too nervous to ask, quote, real luthiers for advice. Jerry, what do you think of that term, real luthiers? Oh, well, what is a real luthier? Sure. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think you should ever feel ashamed to ask a question because if you're asking that question, you're looking for answers. And if you're looking for answers, you're going to expand uh, your level of understanding. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, people will only work to their level of understanding and not beyond it. So ask questions. Never be afraid to do that. Yeah, That's one of the things that uh, I've learned, especially in the limited amount of time I've, I've been around David Burgess. David will ask whatever question comes to his mind. And sometimes it's like, really, you're going to ask that question? And I think that's one of the things that I've taken from him is go ahead and ask it. Because if you want to know something, odds are somebody else's too. And in this day and age of of information being so readily available, ask that question on the forum. Um, meet a private person, ask them, send somebody an email. Yeah. And in my experience, there is so much that you can learn from books or a YouTube video or a PDF that someone sends you. But actually getting feedback on the thing that trips you up is what makes all the difference. I've made an attempt to try this repair. I, it can be as simple as like, I don't know where to get this weird, bizarre supply because there's no mm-hmm. violin makers are us out there. You have to go to all these bizarre different locales right. to find all your tools. And right. like I have, you told me to go buy rubber sheeting to make my sound post patches. <laughs> and when you Google rubber sheeting, you get an interesting oh, result. Yeah. <laughs> so just knowing, sure. knowing where to buy stuff. It's, it, it, <laughs> it's party time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is a lot of the times the battle is where do you source materials from or what is yeah. the appropriate material? And it's good to have resources and, good to have people to be able to ask. I ask people stuff all the time. I ask you Uh, stuff all the time. (laughs) You'd be amazed at the text I get in the course of a day. Where do you get this? Where do you get that? Um, Honestly, I'm not because I'm not surprised because you have a way of, you have a way of getting, being direct, but you're also a good instructor. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Help people. You see the issue 
and you help the person find the solution. And uh, it's a skill that I wish that I was better at. Well, that comes a lot from screwing up. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, I'm going to be great one exactly. day. Exactly. Back to the person who sent that question. The, you know, working, learning on the job is not such a bad thing. I mean, most people, that's how they learn is on the job. The difference is whether you have somebody to help you out or not. But yeah. you learn a lot by making mistakes. And the more you make mistakes, the more you can see the mistakes happening sooner and you can correct them. Sure. Sure. And just a shout out to my employee, Brandon, out there who's really struggling with bridges right now. You're you're going to get it, man. <laughs> you're always going to struggle with bridges. Once you think that you yeah. finally have it, it, it right, you're going to see something else. So... It's a never-ending battle. Yeah, okay, good. From from someone who many people revere. See, you're going to get it. You're going to get it, Brandon. Uh, someone else posted on our Facebook page, and I think that they deleted it because I can't find it, but they just wrote, I'm an imposter. And then they described a few of their own attempts at repairs at home. So, Jerry, you and I should talk about this. Oh, boy. Yes, because I am just ready to go off with, you know what? It's your property. And if you want to try those repairs, do it. Don't let anyone say no. It's your violin. But, Jerry, what do you think about that? Well, to a certain extent, I, I think you can be right. If it's a disposable violin, meaning one that has no... Uh, no value whatsoever. If you want to use it as a, a learning tool, then I think there's some merit to that. The problem comes with having enough experience and expertise to to know if that instrument is okay to to experiment on or to to maybe try something that's unconventional. Um, otherwise, we're keepers of posterity. We're people that. We keep history going. At least we should think of it that way. Yeah. And if you're going to do something that's maybe not the best thing for that instrument um, and you're intentionally doing it, please stop. I, I see the struggle because I understand the, I've said in the, um, I've said in talks with people, itchy fingers. Like you really want to try to figure it out yourself. And, and you said disposable instruments. I would even extend mm -hmm. that to like a lot of commercial instruments that are available today. Um, because, you know, you and I both see uh, different quality of instruments. What mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of the time is more kids that are getting their first instrument. Mm -hmm. And I feel quite brazen to take some liberties. Uh, I'm not saying I would make an instrument sound bad for a kid. Um, but I feel more comfortable having someone who is training learn their stuff on that. Um, sure. When a nicer instrument comes in, I, I do feel that that thing kicks in of like, let's preserve this. Let's make it mm -hmm. last for another generation. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I guess for me, the point when somebody says that they're taking on their own repairs, if you feel judged <laughs> at that comment. And maybe if you felt like that was the reason you wanted to delete that comment, it's probably like, I don't think anybody is trying to talk you down or make you feel like you're a bad person, but there's that inner part of us that 
wants to preserve and really wants to make sure that instrument's cared for. I think we can take this all the way back to Dunning-Kruger. And sure. if, if I can quote uh, the Dirty Harry movie. Yes, uh, please. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll paraphrase. You've got to know your limitations. Mm-hmm. And that comes with knowing what you can and can't do. And uh, if you don't know, don't do it. Okay. That sounds that sounds cold, but I think that the the hard truth of it is is that if it's an instrument that has the chance of of remotely being good, do due diligence and find out what it is before you do something to it. Or you know, just go ask, consult with a luthier, and mm-hmm. and if they're like, oh yeah, you can you can put a new bridge on it, you can reglue that fingerboard, like uh, then go for it, man. Um, but if there is someone who is really concerned about preserving that instrument, you should listen to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I might cut this if we're out of time later, but uh, this next part, (laughs) I'm going to soapbox a little bit because I, this term keeps coming up the more I talk to people because it's just part of this like world we live in. I keep coming across people using the word gypsy, which, yeah. And I, and I should have in episode one, when Chris talked about his younger days being a gypsy, I should have been like, well, you really kind of mean someone who's a vagabond. Yeah. Roaming. Um, I just like to police that word because for people who are of Roma heritage, mm-hmm. they find that word very offensive. So um, please be aware that I'm going to just speak up in the future. If um, anybody else is using the term gypsy. Good. All right. So Moving on to episode, episode two. two, we had Robert Weindel again. Super who fan. Might take the place of Chris's super fan story that you will hear one day. <laughs> so he had a comment about our mention of fake labels. He mentioned to us that newer labels, at least the commercially manufactured ones, the labels are made with titanium dioxide which will glow under UV light. So pretty much every mass-produced instrument today, will it glows like a Christmas tree. And I believe he was saying that's more to do with, with just paper in general, not necessarily something specific with instrument labels. Um, uh-huh. Those of you who don't know, the, the manufacturing of paper has changed a lot over the course of centuries. I don't and know I that. Think... <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> Well, this is, again, this is where a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. I only know a tiny fraction of it. Uh, oh, so but... you're, you're at the, the very top end of the Dunning-Kruger. So you're... Yeah, well, I, I know that I don't know a lot, <laughs> so, but uh, it might be interesting to have Robert uh, write us a quick synopsis that we can, we can read off. That might be, that might be more appropriate than, than me waxing uh, <laughs> aimlessly about paper okay uh but I, I but i will say you can get around that pretty easily you can find old paper the vatican mm-hmm. back in the day pumped out lots and lots of of books that n- now i guess from what i've been told are fairly worthless and you can go into um old booksellers or antique shops and you can get these these books of appropriate age paper rather inexpensively uh, and the margins are wide. You just cut out a piece that you'd like and you can use that. Uh, or more commonly, 
labels migrate. It's not uncommon to have a label that's uh, an authentic label be lifted out of one instrument and put into another. That's why labels tend to be the least accurate way of identifying an instrument. Absolutely. They're in there. Uh, they can they can be the smoking gun. They can be the thing that it's the the icing on the cake, if you will. But at the end of the day, it is just a piece of paper, sure, or or vellum, or yeah. There's a difference there, but uh, anyway. <laughs> can you speak from your professional <laughs> education about vellum versus paper? Well, vellum <laughs> is made from animal skin. Oh, okay. It is. It is. Uh, it is stretched out skin, which you will see that on some instruments, you'll see uh, labels that are made of vellum and not of paper. Oh, that's so weird. Okay. However, you know, like getting back to labels being the, the, the least accurate way of identifying an instrument, that's why people like Ben um, have devoted, Ben Hebert, uh, the guest in episode two, uh, have devoted so much time and craft into studying the field of identification. And that in itself, the process of, of, of doing that is, uh, is a subject for a, uh, an episode in itself. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That kind of went on. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. When I'm looking at an instrument, the last thing I look at is the label when I'm trying to identify something. Yeah, well, it can, it can still be useful. Like uh, when somebody hands me an instrument to, uh, to evaluate, the label can contain a lot of information. Even if it's a fake label, it can still tell you a lot. For instance, uh, if you see uh, an instrument with the handwriting on the label, if it looks incredibly tortured uh, and it's an Italian instrument, Italian handwriting from the early part of the 20th century, I view as as having this kind of tortured look to it. Okay. Um, whereas German handwriting from the same time period looks totally different, and English handwriting from the same time period looks totally different. So, oh, that's interesting. So, so the, the the handwriting on the label can tell you a lot, but maybe not necessarily the most direct thing okay. about that instrument. Oh my gosh, I like that. And I feel like I am at the very bottom of the bell curve of Donning Kruger. And yeah. I can't wait to start seeing that that grouping now. I'm going to start looking for that. And in 20 years, I'm going to have it all figured out. Ah, uh, good luck. <laughs> you know, every I think it's important to think of, too, that every violin is like a, a crime scene. You have <laughs> <Yes>. the... <laughs> You have the who who did it and the who did what to it. Yes. And m most of us spend time looking at the who did what to it. And in order to get to that next level, you start to, to need to peel back those layers and look at how was the box made. Um, mm -hmm. And then from there, you start to develop, I'll say, a little bit more of a a truer sense of expertise where you develop almost an intimate relationship with a particular school or group of makers and that recognition of what it is becomes much more instant. I can't wait. I can't wait to figure but it all out. The, yeah, <laughs> me too. And, and, and so hopefully should a lot of people listening, including people hopefully whom are uh, one of the things that respect that I respect about people who spend a great amount of time with expertise is their ability to say, I don't know. 
if they hand if you hand them something and they're not sure of it if they're confident in saying I don't know uh, to me that's a pretty good expert just one other note for episode two my mom has become the biggest supporter and she will just tell people to like listen and and she <laughs> took the time to make a comment that she approved of Chris's jokes at the end which I thought was really sweet <laughs> oh boy yeah that yeah. is that is terribly sweet i don't know if it's deserved yeah, yeah. thank you mom <laughs> but it's very sweet thank you yeah <laughs> or i'll thank you on behalf of uh, behalf of chris yes uh and then finally to wrap this up we're not really in love with the title listener feedback it feels kind of kind of dry and if you have any suggestion out there for what we could call these episodes during our regular monthly episodes at the end, we usually have a light piece like Chris's jokes that we call the coda. So if you think of anything out there that is kind of on brand with that, that you think we should call these episodes, let us know. Give us your feedback, listeners. <laughs> uh, just a reminder, you can email us, mail at omopod.com. You can leave a voicemail on the Omo phone, which is 240 240- 686-5345. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, a lot of you people have just been sending us direct messages, and that's fine too. Absolutely. It's lovely okay. to hear from all the people out there. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. And so thanks for listening, guys. And bye for now. And Chris, stop getting your wife pregnant. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. She wants the same thing. So I think everybody will be happy with that. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. We should just leave it there. All right. Uh, Jerry, any other little blurbs that you want to throw in there? No, and I have no idea why my Alexa started playing music. It's like it was playing out an exit. For exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I'll, I'll add, uh, I got a lot of feedback personally about my just use one drop of glue. And that uh, that yeah. came from uh, some of my former coworkers and I saying that if one of us ever won the lottery, we'd take a full page ad out in the back of the Strad saying, <laughs> uh, you know, please use just one drop of glue. So that was my moment to do that. So thank you all for putting up with that. You shined. Yay. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Please join us next time when our guest will be Jerry Pasowitz. More information about this podcast can be found at omopod.com, or you can reach us on the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Invoke Sound plays our theme music.